0: Welcome back to Conspiracy Club, broadcasting from the future. I'm Tom. And I'm Emir. Last week, we talked about, well, actually, it wasn't last week. It was a couple weeks ago. We took an impromptu hiatus as we transitioned home uh, from college. So uh, we had a little impromptu seasonal break. So last time we met, I guess is a proper, uh, more proper. Yeah. We talked about the American Dietlav Pass incident. Five men mysteriously abandoned their car on a snowy mountain road and ran off into the woods. It would be months before any of them were found, and to this day, there remains no evidence of Gary Mathias. It's not known why they took that fateful road or why they abandoned their car. A lot of their motivations remain elusive and befuddling. It's a case that confounds the mind like no other. Except the original D'Alov Pass incident. And this week, we are ready to break your brain again.
1: So, like, Does the original have anything to do with, like, I don't know, people run off into the woods? or? The original does have
0: some woods, some people running into the woods uh, mysteriously as well, yes.
1: Okay, that's what I was wondering.
0: That's the connection. It's got some people with unknown motivations that were, like, up in the woods that just vanished for no reason.
1: Okay, that's all I was wondering.
0: The original case takes place some 20 years before its California counterpart, in the northern Urals of Sverdlovsk Oblast in the Soviet Union. Its titular figure, Igor Dyatlov, was a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute and the leader of a hiking trip that would live in infamy. With him, he brought nine others, seven men and two women, all of which were considered experienced grade two hikers and would be promoted to grade three after the trip which would be the highest granted by the Soviet Union. Needless to say, they had experience in the mountains. Their plan was to reach the mountain Otorten and their route was considered the most difficult to accomplish. Before they left, Dietlov promised to send a telegram to the college's sports club upon their return to Vizhai. At most, this message was expected to arrive on February 12th, but Dietlov confided in Yuri Yudin, his fellow hiker, that he thought their trek would be much longer. With them, the group bought diaries and cameras, which made it possible to follow their activities until their mysterious disappearances. After train and truck rides to the village of Vizhai on January 27th, they began their expedition. It wouldn't take long for their group to begin thinning. The following day, the 28th, Yuri Yudin had to turn back due to knee pain that would have made the rest of the trip impossible. Now nine total, the rest of the group pushed onwards
1: so the whole thing is they're hiking through the woods just because for fun or is this like
0: um yeah I think it's just like there's like they're they're students so I assume they're doing some studying but like for the most part it's just like a trip
1: all right so the one guy ends up living who said I'm going back yes okay smart man
0: he probably he probably didn't even actually have a knee injury. He was just like, eh, I'm not down with that. As soon as he was like, hey, this is going to take way longer than I said. He's like, oh, my knee.
1: Exactly. I would I have been like, ooh, I can't really make it. I kind of left the oven on. I got to go back. My kid's still in the house. It's a newborn. I didn't get a, anyone to do a daycare. So it's kind of like I can't really raise it.
0: However, as we'll get into with later theories about what happened, uh, this hiking trip may have had some hidden motives.
1: Mmm. I like the word hidden and the word motives.
0: <laughs> Both of those words, good ones. hmm
1: So together.
0: <clears throat> On January 31st, they found themselves at the edge of a highland area that they would need to climb. They stored surplus food and equipment in a wooded valley, they would need for the return trip, and the next day they began to move through the pass. The wrench in the gears of this plan was the worsening weather conditions in the Urals. Snowstorms began to pick up and visibility plummeted. They quickly lost any sense of direction, and wound up moving west, toward the top of a different mountain, Kolatsiakal. When they realized what they'd done, they decided to stop and set up camp, but rather than traversing downhill to a forested, sheltered area, they did so on the slope of the mountain perhaps out of fear of losing all the altitude they'd already accomplished. But what happened in the night, nobody knows. The 12th came and passed, and no messages had been received. Worry began to stir, but they assumed delays and decided to wait before doing anything. But on February 20th, the relatives of the travelers fervently demanded a rescue operation be conducted, and thus the first rescue groups were sent out after Dyatlov, groups consisting of volunteer students and teachers.
1: That's really... I don't know why they would choose a slope to like chill
0: at. Yeah, so there's we'll get into it later as well. But like I said, it's there's the thought is that maybe they thought they didn't want to lose all the ground that they'd accomplished because they'd been hiking all day. But again, they're also experienced climbers, so if they thought this was going to be dangerous, then you'd think that they would know.
1: Yeah, or maybe someone knew but was like, no, let's keep going. You know, this for research. That are, you know, for research to see what the human body can do.
0: So on February 26th, the tent was found, but it was destroyed. Overall, the campsite was a dumbfounding location. The tent was said to be half torn down and covered in snow. It was empty, except for all of the group's belongings, including their shoes. What's more, the tent had been cut open from the inside. Footprints could be found, however, eight or nine sets, all left by people that were wearing only socks, or a single shoe, or possibly even barefoot. These tracks were followed down towards the edge of the woods on the opposite side of the pass, nearly a mile away. Here, at the edge of the forest under a large tree, the searchers found the remains of a small fire, along with the first two bodies, Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivonishenko. The bodies were shoeless and were dressed only in their underwear. The branches on this tall tree were broken above them, suggesting that maybe one of them climbed up to look around. Between this tree and the camp, three more bodies were found. Igor Dyatlov, Zeneda Kalmogorova, and Rustem Slobodin. Though each body was separated by a couple hundred meters, they were all posed as if they were trying to return to camp. The other four bodies took some time to find, more than two months to be exact. It wasn't until May 4th that their bodies were discovered buried beneath the snow, deep in the woods. This group was slightly different. Three of the four were dressed better than the rest, and signs suggest that those who died first had given their clothes up to the living. A standout, however, was Dubonina, who was wearing Krivonashenko's burned and torn trousers, and around her left foot and shin, a torn jacket was wrapped. So, what happened? Well. Following the discovery of the first five bodies, a legal inquest began to determine their causes of death. Medical examiners found no injuries that would have led to the deaths, leading to the conclusion that they had all died of hypothermia. However, Slobodin was found to have a small crack in his skull, though it was not considered fatal. It wasn't until the remaining bodies were found that things really became suspicious. Three of them had sustained fatal injuries. Nikolai Thibault Brignoles had suffered major skull damage and Lyudmila Dubanina and Semyon Volotaryov had major chest fractures. So, maybe you start to think that foul play may have been at hand, but Dr. Boris Vajrajdeni stated that the force needed to do that much damage to them would have been comparable to a car crash, and their bodies didn't have any external wounds that would have been associated with bone fractures, except for Lyudmila Dubenina, who was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, some facial tissue, and part of her skull on top of having severe skin macerations on her hands. It's claimed that she was found laying face down in a stream that ran beneath the snow, which likely correlates to putrefaction in a wet environment, but is unlikely to be connected to her death.
1: That sounds like murder. You think so? At least in her case. The rest of them, I don't know, could have, but that sounds like clear murder. Like, at least with the other one, with the American one, there was nothing where it was like, ah, sounds like this guy got murdered. This one.
0: Yeah, this one, there's, like, people are really fucked up.
1: Yeah, like, this is blatant, like, we cut her tongue out, part of her lip.
0: See, that that, that part, people think that that's from laying face down in a stream or something that might have eroded away. But that still doesn't like make up for the why they all had severe chest fractures um, akin to a car crash when all they were doing was walking around the woods.
1: Wait, like, her tongue eroded away?
0: Potentially, if she was laying on her face. Okay. Potentially, it's a possibility. But the, the chest fractures make no sense because... What uh, what out there was doing that much damage to them, and also, how come there was no external um signs that they had faced that kind of damage? It's was, it was kind of an oddity.
1: Maybe a bear,
0: but you'd think that if they got attacked by a bear, wouldn't their skin have some signs of damage?
1: What if it just punched them,
0: just <laughs> really hard?
1: Yeah, you have you ever played Tekken? No, there's a bear in Tekken that can fight.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, do that that kind of shit right there. Only
1: punches. Yep. Only punches, no scratches.
0: Maybe it was a bear, or maybe maybe it was was a yeti. Maybe it was Tekken bear.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe it was Tekken bear.
0: Other than that, it's really unclear what happened or why they behaved how they did. The temperatures in the area ranged from negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. But they were not wearing sufficient footwear, and many were found wearing only bits of ripped clothes taken from those who had already died. So let's go over the inquest files to recap and bring some things to light. Six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. No one else was nearby the group. The tent had been torn open from the inside. The victims had died six to eight hours after their last meal. Everyone left the camp of their own volition on foot. High levels of radiation were found on one of the victims clothing and no one survived.
1: Okay, so the radiation's the only one where I'm kind of lost on,
0: yes, and no one really knows. There's a theory that'll come down later that kind of is really wild about why only that one person had the radiation on them, but other than that, it's kind of really unclear why one person had heavy radiation because if it was if their deaths were associated with um uh with that, you would think that more of them would have radiation signatures on their body, but just one body was found with heavy radiation.
1: That's really weird.
0: The inquest ended on May 1959 due to the lack of a compelling guilty party. It was simply summed up to be an act of nature. Before we get into the aftermath, there are two other unconfirmed reports regarding the incident. One is from Yuri Kunsevich who attended five of their funerals and reported that their skin had a deep brown tan. Another comes from a group of hikers some 30 miles from the incident, who reported seeing strange orange spheres in the sky to the north on the night. Similar sightings were observed in adjacent areas continually from February to March of 1959. One sighting came from Lev Ivanov, who led the inquest in 1959. In 1990, he published an article admitting that he had no idea what had happened, but that his team had also seen the flying spheres. Upon publishing, he received orders from regional officials to dismiss his claims.
1: So he's saying that it's aliens.
0: Uh, this orange spheres—whatever that means—people are think that those are associated with their deaths.
1: So they're guessing aliens did something.
0: Well, are you guessing aliens did something? Well,
1: I'm just orange spheres. I'm just gonna assume either it's gonna be you know aliens or the Dragon Balls, and <laughs> it's not the Dragon Balls, so
0: yeah because they didn't wish for death yeah
1: well my, you never know they could have <laughs> been suicidal happened. yeah they're
0: like i want to be a legend
1: okay i don't know about that
0: and they died in a legendary way what do you make of the uh the tan seen on some of their bodies
1: maybe it was sunny out they could have caught a tan
0: so some people think that the tan the deep brown tanning um is consistent with mummification And since some of their bodies were, you know, sitting in wet environments, you know, covered by the snow for so long that they may have, like, mummified.
1: Mm, I can
0: see that. um, There's really nothing else about the tan, and that's kind of unconfirmed as well.
1: Okay, I can see that. That's a good enough thing. That'd make me okay.
0: Well, the strangeness didn't stop there. In 1967, Yuri Yerevoy, a writer and journalist, published a novel titled Of the Highest Degree of Complexity, which was inspired by the incident. See, at the time of the inquest, Yerevoy was a photojournalist and was active in the search and early stages of the investigation. The files on the incident had been locked away in secret, but Yerevoy had particular insight. Although his novel was fiction, and he avoided revealing anything that wasn't public, Yarovoy had an archive of the incident, which included photos, diaries, and manuscripts, all of which vanished when Yarovoy died in 1980. In addition, it's believed that Yarovoy had alternative versions of his novel that were rejected by the Soviet government.
1: Well, that's. I believe they get the right to do that because he shouldn't have been doing that anyway.
0: But what do you think that if they rejected it, do you think that that meant that he was hiding something?
1: Well, it could have been, like, you know, aliens came and did it or something. Or... And they're like, oh, no. No, 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 pal. We're not going to. We're not putting that out there. It's That's interesting just...
0: that it got published at all if they thought that it was connected to this, like, top secret incident. And also, it's interesting that this incident is considered to be top secret. Because it if it's an act of nature, what's the harm in writing about it?
1: They could have been trying to keep them from knowing the real reason they were out there. Maybe. You know, like what if they were out there, uh, you know, looking for nuclear sites or something, or looking to do something with nukes? And they were like, "Nah, let's keep that on the low."
0: Oh well, wait till you see some of these theories. They get kind of in- interesting and maybe similar, more similar than you'd think, to what you just said.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's let's see.
0: To this day, it still isn't known what happened on the mountain pass, but the case is far from dead. As of February 2019, Russian prosecutors have launched a new investigation into the incident, of which there are only a handful of theories being actually entertained. The first is that of an avalanche. Is it possible that the group awoke in a panic and frantically cut their way out of the tent due to an avalanche, either current or imminent? In the dark of night, maybe they got separated and froze to death before being able to return to camp. This theory, though still on the table, faces some contradictory information. The location of the camp did not have any signs of a recent avalanche, which would have been reasonably obvious. Since the incident, over 100 expeditions have been conducted in the area, and no one has reported conditions that might create an avalanche. Even if their location happened to be unlucky enough to be the target of a very specific avalanche, that still wouldn't make sense because of the incline of their site with the mountain, meant that the trajectory would have missed them entirely. Additionally, Dietlov and the group were trained hikers and skiers, and it's unlikely that they would have chosen to camp in a potentially dangerous location. As well as the footprints, which led away from the site, that were inconsistent with people running in panic, but actually more in line with people walking normally. One theory suggests immensely powerful katabatic winds made remaining in the tent impossible. Another suggests that wind flowing down the mountain created a Carmen Vortex Street, which produces infrasound that is capable and known to induce panic attacks. The group may have been subject to this in the tent, forcing them to abandon all rationale, cut their way out of the tent, and abandon their clothes. The group that sustained injuries may have fallen into a rocky ravine in the darkness. Eh. You don't buy that one?
1: Yeah, eh, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. That's not bad.
0: A more sinister theory is that of military testing. Some theorize that their campsite was within the path of a Soviet parachute mine exercise. They awoke to explosions and fled in a panic. The physical injuries may have been the result of concussive blasts from the mines. Where does this theory stem from? Well, the fact that there are records that parachute mines were being tested by the Soviet military in the area by the hikers at this time. Additionally, these types of mines often lead to injuries similar to those of the hikers found. Internal damage but far less external trauma. This might explain the glowing spheres that were spotted as well.
1: I can see now this one is the one I can actually see. Yeah. This one explains a lot more than the other one did. This one explains a lot, like, so, all the scars. and Well, not scars, but all the internal stuff that would be, like, with an explosion happening.
0: And think about this. This would make sense why the Soviet Union would want to cover up the real story. Yep. Because mm-hmm. then they're at fault for it.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm going to go with this one as the one.
0: Okay, well, don't, don't get too attached to it, because maybe you'll get your mind changed by this one, which might explain the, uh, the radiation found on one of the bodies.
1: Okay, I guess. Let's see.
0: One theory is that Semyon Volotaryov and Alexander Kolevatov and Yuri Krivonashenko were KGB agents sent on a mission to uncover a cell of CIA agents. They were tasked with delivering radioactive samples and photograph the Americans, but somehow something went wrong and the CIA agents killed the group. This sounds absurd and likely is, but there are some strange details which might bring a small degree of legitimacy to the paranoia. Semyon Zolotaryov, who was 37, far older than the rest of the group, was an instructor at a different tour base and he allegedly joined the group at the last minute. He was a veteran and had combat experience. On his arm bore a tattoo that remains untranslated. Alexander Kolevatov allegedly worked in Moscow as a lab assistant in a top-secret scientific facility. Yuri Krivonoshenko allegedly also worked in the plant Mayak in Shelyabinsk-40, where a massive nuclear disaster occurred.
1: Uh, I can see, like, a, a take-out-the-CIA-agents thing. I can see this also being, like, a combination with the third one okay. or the last one. I, I dig that. Yeah. Just but take out the CIA part. That that No way. Yeah. No, we wouldn't have done that. At the most, we would have. We were trying to do, like, you know, be secret about it back then. Mm-hmm. This isn't, that wasn't secretive at all. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, thought, I think that was interesting. There's some weird details because that guy was way older than the rest of the group. And I wondered that as well because, like, everyone else is students and this guy's not. Everyone else yeah. is pretty much students at this Polytechnical Institute or early researchers or whatever.
1: Well, that's what I'm I'm saying. i take that one.
0: One theory suggests that servicemen in the area may have mistaken the hikers for escaped gulag prisoners and killed them. Or maybe it was even the indigenous people in the area. No. You don't buy that?
1: No, because they would have had actual wounds on the outside.
0: Yeah, you would think. And they would have found footprints. Yes. A more likely theory at least as far as the lack of clothing goes, follows something known as paradoxical undressing. This is a behavior frequent in hypothermia victims, where they begin to remove their clothes due to a perceived feeling of warmth. That still would only make sense for three of the hikers, and wouldn't account for others in the group who seem to be trying to add more layers on.
1: Um, maybe at the start, but then I, I might want to combine this with the other two. Okay. But I kind of, I can see it kind of.
0: Some people even believe that it may have been a Russian Yeti that led to the hikers' tragic fates. Or perhaps it was shrooms, a UFO, a failed teleportation experiment, a lightning strike, gravity fluctuation, a wolverine attack, or even methanol poisoning. No. You don't buy any of those?
1: First off, what's, does a Yeti from Russia speak Russian?
0: Ma it... Maybe it roars in Russian.
1: Yeah, it'll
0: Well, think about this: bear punch, yeti punch. What's the difference?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there's the
0: aliens, the UFO thing.
1: Shrooms, no. Cause wherever they just randomly have shrooms.
0: Maybe yeah, they brought it with them. They're college students. They like to party. Maybe.
1: Nah, not when you're hiking.
0: Yeah, you'd think.
1: UFO. Nah. You
0: don't think they settle in for the night and go, hey guys, I brought a bag of magic mushrooms. Let's get lit. No,
1: I don't think that's happening. There's a 37-year-old there. He's gonna be like, no, put those away. (laughs) Maybe Uh, he wants to seem cool. No, he would no. He's already washed. There's nothing he can do. The failed teleportation experiment is a no-go. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of evidence to back that one up. Yeah. A lightning strike? No. Because I feel like you could see that.
0: You would you... think. Like re- some evidence that it happened? Yeah.
1: Gravity fluctuation? Probably not. Wolverine attack? There's no leftover prints.
0: Yeah, and there's no. they have no external trauma.
1: Yeah. And then methane? And yeah, Wolverines can't punch people unless it's <laughs> the Wolverine.
0: Yeah, that's what actually meant. It was talking about Marvel Comics. Yeah.
1: And then methanol poison? Come on, man.
0: I don't know what the the evidence was for that
1: smoking cigs
0: but remember the cameras that were recovered well those photos hold some odd and creepy information as well you can view the photos on our instagram and twitter at tom and demir as well as dietloftpass.com where you can find a ton of additional information including case reports testimonies actual diary pages leading up to the disappearance and more if you want to learn more i highly recommend you check out this website i want to extend my thanks for being such a great resource But, back to the photos. First, let's talk about Krivonoshenko's camera, and really one thing in particular. Frame number 34. This frame shows that he left his camera on with a cocked shutter. As DietloffPass.com says, it is possible that this is just a habit, although this is rather unusual for an experienced photographer because it would result in losing a few frames from each film. Being in poor visibility conditions, he may have wanted to be ready for an immediate shot of something he was expecting to happen. This cock-shutter was only found on his camera and may suggest that some members of the group were anticipating some events in the afternoon of February 1st. Frame number 17 if Thibault Brynjol's camera shows a mysterious figure that some speculate to be the aforementioned yeti. Zolotaryov was found with another camera on his body which raises the question of what he had intended to take pictures of when the group fled the tent. Keep in mind, He and others did not even bring appropriate clothing for the elements, but Zolotaryov found it important to grab a camera. Unfortunately, the camera stayed on his body underwater for an extended period of time, and any photos that he may have taken were destroyed. However, some psychic photography was engaged in with the damaged film, and some people, most prominently British author and researcher Keith McCloskey, believe that the photographs are a clear indication of a fallen angel or higher-level demonic involvement. Mm -hmm. Then.
1: Come on. You don't buy that? No, they had me on the Yeti. I was actually interested.
0: Yeah, you don't think that's the Fallen Angel?
1: But the Fallen Angel that's that's Chris Angel, dude.
0: That's your mind freak?
1: Yeah, I can see him. In the photos? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the fallen angel. But come on, man. The Yeti I can see, that'd be cool. It'd be f- cool.
0: It would be. The photos are kind of interesting and sort of haunting because you know that they're being taken and these people are never going to be seen again.
1: Nope. And they're never going to see them again.
0: Yeah. It's freaky.
1: Yeah. That's every photo, though.
0: That's I guess that's true.
1: When someone dies, you're like, dang.
0: You know, like last images. It's freaky yeah. stuff.
1: Or you look at a photo, and you're like, everyone's dead in this photo. Whoa. Yeah. Luckily, I'm not in it.
0: In the end, like its American counterpart we will likely never know what happened to the Dyatlov expedition group. What would drive a perfectly healthy group of people to cut themselves out of their tent and inappropriately dress for the conditions fully into the woods? What would cause the brutally fatal injuries that several members of the group would sustain? It's impossible to know what happened, but the one thing we know for sure, Yuri Yudin probably never felt more grateful to suffer a knee injury.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, he is the one who wins in this story.
0: Yeah, you would think like he gets his knee injured, he's like shit, I can't go on this this inve- this whole like uh this track. I'm really bummed and then everyone just dies and you're like oh, it's like that's some final destination shit.
1: Exactly. Now he's like chilling probably. His wife probably still cares about him.
0: Yeah. Well, he I'm might happy be dead for him at this him. point, but
1: Well, come on. Let's not say that.
0: Actually, I think he died really recently. I think he died in like 2013 or something.
1: Poor guy. I'm pro this whole thing. I like this one more than the American one. The American one just felt like it was like some guys just kind of just freaked out and left.
0: That and the American one was like, well, they just left and that's weird. Why did they leave? And this one is like, okay, they left, but they tore themselves out of their tent. They didn't they specifically didn't bring their gear with them and then some of them had like really mysterious uh injuries.
1: That's how it be, though. You so
0: know? this one makes even less
1: sense. Yeah. Yeah, I like this one. This is a good one.
0: You well, it's your thing. when we asked you, the audience, what are your thoughts, your theories, which one of the theories did you agree with the most? Which one of the theories did you agree with the most, Amir? Do you think it was a
1: combination, then? I was a combination of the... Uh, the KGB. The KGB, the minds, yeah. and then maybe... I think there was another one that I said it might have been. Okay. But I think those two, for me, to be honest, are the two main ones that I think it would be good one, though. That's what I think happened. I think they went up there, found out it was perished. Oh, no. I feel like they went up there. Three of them did lose their minds. It was them losing their minds and started taking their clothes off. And they were like, whoa, what are you doing, dude? So they ran off. And then. That's when they found the mines, explosions happen, death, chaos, chaos, everyone's freaking out. They probably heard an explosion while they were sleeping, it was like, "Whoa!" and then that's when you know they all got up, started running. That's how you know that's yeah. probably why they didn't put on the appropriate stuff. People begin to die, one thing lends to another, and now they're all dead, yeah, yeah, and that's what I think happened. He wanted to probably get a picture of the mines to be like, "Whoa, dude, their mines up here." Dead. Yeah.
0: That's the weirdest that's one of the weirdest things to me is that uh, like they don't even have shoes or socks some of them. And then there's like going out and this guy's like, "I got to get the camera." Which means that there must have been something that he was like, "People need to see this." And then those photos got damaged, and so we'll never know. Maybe they were intentionally damaged by the,
1: the Soviet government. I mean, could have been, but that's what I'm going with. And also, I think think the
0: concussion mine makes a lot of sense because we know that they were in the area at the time and that would make sense why the government would want to cover it up.
1: Exactly. So that's what I think happened. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.
0: All right. Well, if you, the audience, like I said, have any theories or thoughts on this episode, you can tweet them to us at Tom and Demir. That's T-O-M-A-N-D-E-M-I-R. And be sure to join the club while you're there by following us there and at our Instagram which is the same thing at Tom and Amir and also like I've said before it helps the podcast out if you just talk about the podcast tell your friends who you think might be interested in this kind of thing and you'll want to stay tuned next week because we're talking about something close to home because it's in the middle of America in Skidmore Missouri
1: yeah Amir, I don't know what that's thoughts? about at all I don't even know what that means I know Skid Row
0: it might as well be that
1: ZZ Top hell yeah but
0: yeah yeah we should you want do
1: to say? An, we should do an episode about how ZZ Top spins their guitars like what is that about
0: <laughs> that's our that's our spin-off episode
1: yeah but yeah like I say every single week man Russian bears on unicycles well oh, no sorry Tekken Russian bears on unicycles are food and need to be stopped.